This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is 93XRT. I'm Lynn Bramer. And today, it is our pleasure to welcome to the airwaves of Chicago, says right here on the artwork, the heartbeat of Pink Floyd, although I think he had a lot to do with the soul of Pink Floyd. We welcome Nick Mason to the airwaves. Hi. Well, hello, Nick Mason. Uh, the big news is Nick Mason's Saucerful of Secrets is a musical project you've put together. It's coming to the Chicago Theater on April 4th, and hopefully the temperatures will inch over freezing by the time you get here. And uh, you have decided to tackle ambitiously the earliest part of the Pink Floyd catalog. Why did you decide with the legacy of Pink Floyd, all of the stuff you could have chosen, why did you say, hey, let's go back to the beginning? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons, but one of them is because it's pretty crowded out there on the uh, uh, dark side of the moon and beyond department. We've got both David and uh, Roger playing uh, quite a lot of those sort of tracks and uh, about a million tribute bands also hammering away at it. And I really wanted something that where we could try and uh, recreate or, or visit the, the sort of... Uh, the feel of um, Pink Floyd in, in period and not necessarily slavishly try and recreate every song exactly as it was recorded. So I want something where we just had a bit more uh, breathing space with it. And, and there's some great songs there. Um, the other thing is that it's a sort of, I won't say undiscovered, but particularly, I think, in the USA, that people are less familiar with what we did before Dark Side. That a lot of people think maybe we kicked off with that. And um, there's some interesting songs, you know, with Sid Barrett's things and uh, things we did for movies and, uh, and sort of ideas that were then developed into later albums. Now... I've heard that you've reflected that Sasha Full of Secrets is actually your favorite Pink Floyd album. Is there a reason or a bunch of reasons for that? Yeah, I, I think it's a pointer as to where we were going to go in the future. You know, I think um, albums like uh, uh, Umaguma and Atom Heart Mother um, are interesting, but they're less... Um, uh, they're less sort of... Uh, in the direction we went, they were almost like sort of side side streets on the in the whole thing, and I really like the mix on um, saucer. I like the I think um, uh, jugbound blues is is a really sort of um, sad but uh, beautifully sort of executed goodbye to Sid, and I think. Um, Set the Controls is one of the best songs that Roger ever wrote out of uh, all, all the things that he's done. 
Well, I'm, I'm old enough to remember doing overnight shifts uh, at an FM station in the early 70s and going, okay, we're, we're setting the controls right now for the heart of the sun. And, and you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, that a lot of this material is compared to some of the mass. I mean, Dark Side of the Moon was on the Billboard charts for 20 years or something. Uh, you talk about how some of this might have been overlooked or, or not as well remembered. And I've seen Pink Floyd a number of times, and a lot of the stuff on your set list that's coming to the Chicago Theater April 4th is not st- stuff that you normally heard at uh, Pink Floyd concerts in the last quarter of a century, I- I'd have to say. Yeah. But you should know that for some reason, the song Interstellar Overdrive, I've heard major bands cover in concert in the last, say, decade. Chicago's own Smashing Pumpkins have covered Interstellar Overdrive as an encore. So I, I, I think there's something that really has stuck with people who were into Pink Floyd from the very beginning about that early stuff. Well, the nice thing with Interstellar is that it's a song that it's always interesting to hear other people play it because it has no very specific parts that that should be slavishly followed. You know, there is a version on on the album uh, on uh, Piper, um, but it, it's it's so open to improvisation. Um, during uh, certainly in the, the the middle parts of of the of the piece, I, uh, the last time I heard it was the opening to the, the movie Doctor Strange, <laughs> uh, which was totally unexpected. Uh, you know, b- between these first two albums, The Piper at the Gates of Dawn, Saucer Full of Secrets, when you were recording these or or helping to write this music. Was there a consciousness that you were doing something revolutionary, that there really wasn't anybody else out there doing the sort of experimentation that you guys were doing? Not really. I mean, because there was so much going on at the time. I mean, when we made Piper, uh, you know, that was a relatively small album because, down, you know, we were recording it in Abbey Road, um, 50 feet away. Beatles were doing Sgt. Pepper, which was <laughs> such an important part of, you know, musical change. Um, I don't think we thought we're, we're breaking new ground when we're next door to uh, what was going on there. Well, that's a very modest answer. But still, nevertheless, uh, the sonic uh, experimentation of Pink Floyd, I, I, I have to believe it's influenced generations of musicians. Something that I've always wondered you know, as the percussionist, as the drummer, and with all the sounds that would emanate from Pink Floyd album, were there moments in recording sessions where you said, hey, hey, guys, you know, I could actually just play the drums here? <laughs> um, no. I think I've always loved the thing of being able to, you know, find other ways of doing it. I think on Saucer, uh, there was... As, uh, there was a point at which we thought it might be interesting to try playing the cymbals by beating them and then lowering them into a large bucket of water at the same time. And I love that sort of thing, you know, where you you just come up with some weird idea for, to um, to find some entirely new sound. I mean, it's different now because we can all sample everything and mix those samples together. But there was something wonderfully crude and effective about uh, technology uh, in, in in what was when was it late late sixties? Right uh, now, 
A, a lot of bands put out a first album, maybe it's two or three or four albums before anybody takes any notice. Were were you a little surprised that you had a hit single right off the bat, off off your first album, a top five, top ten single in the UK? Uh, well, the, it's slightly different because in the in the UK, the the, the singles were not actually on the album, um, which was one of those sort of curious differences between American and, and UK thinking on, on that. Uh, we weren't entirely surprised. I mean, we we had a uh, we had a very good team. We had um, initially Joe Boyd and then Norman Smith. Uh, EMI were really behind trying to launch this new band. So uh, getting onto Top of the Pops and having a hit single was... Um, it's always a surprise. You can't guarantee it. But that was part of the plan, if you like. What what was less part of the plan was finding ourselves becoming less and less of a singles band and becoming more and more of an album band rather quickly. And again, interestingly, I think, a lot of bands were affected by the success of Sgt. Pepper. This idea that an album was more important than a single was entirely, you know, in 1967, this was a big change. And the record companies all had to completely readjust to this sort of thinking. Well, uh, especially since in 1967, if you turned on the radio, and it was uh, virtually all AM radio, uh, you had to have singles that were two, three minutes long. And Pink Floyd comes along, and part of your legacy is uh, you went to the studio and created masterpieces that were 11 minutes long, 9 minutes long. And I'm sure the record company was was thrilled when you said, you know, not only is um, uh, Diamonds uh, like 11 minutes, but there's another part that's just as long. <laughs> Well, the, uh, the, the breakthrough record, do you remember the animals, House of the Rising Sun? That was about six or seven minutes. Everyone said, no, no, you can't do this. It'll never get played on the radio. But actually, they, they just did, released it and it changed people's thinking. That is so true. So you're actually giving credit to some of those people that have come before you. But I, I mean, I, I think of uh, the, the period of Pink Floyd that, uh, as you reference, most people would consider uh the golden age of pink floyd you know animals and dark side of the moon and and uh all of that stuff and uh, those were albums where you guys said you know we're not worried about compartmentalizing our imagination we're gonna we're gonna write these songs perform these songs and as long as they are that's how it's gonna roll out yeah but as, as I say, I think there were a lot of us doing that, that sort of thing. It was, that's what music was at the time. And we seemed to actually, curiously, to be coming back round to um, shorter shorter pieces. The, the album has been sort of replaced by people talk about EPs now. I mean, it's a, a sort of fictitious thing, but they'll release maybe three tracks rather than an album full of tracks. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. There, there are bands that release single after single after single before even talking about releasing an album. I, I want to talk about uh, before we let you go. Some of the people playing with you on the the Nick Mason uh, tour, the Saucerful of Secrets tour, coming to the Chicago Theater April fourth. You have uh, the guitarist from Spandau Ballet, Gary Kemp, is uh, playing guitar. He's also doing a lot of the vocals, isn't he? 
That's right. Yeah, he's been. I, I mean, I think people have been really surprised. I, I think people compartmentalize music far too easily and assume that a new romantic and a great songwriter uh, like Gary is stuck in a particular uh, genre of music, um, which is not the case at all. He's absolutely been. Uh, I think people have been really impressed with with what he does and his playing, and certainly his guitar work is just terrific. And it's not something you've ever heard of with Spandau, but you'll certainly hear it with us. Uh, you also have a guy that you know very well because he's toured with Pink Floyd. Uh, bass player Guy Pratt is playing mm-hmm. with you guys. Uh, another guitarist, Lee Harris. Lee Harris, who was with Ian Drury and the Blockheads, uh, a very fine band, and uh, Don Beacon, who was um, did a lot of work with Rick, but uh, um, also uh, was is in a band called The Orb, who have um, done a lot of uh, sort of more da- sort of dance and house music, um, but wonderfully, uh, wonderfully capable and wonderfully varied in his approach. Spent quite a lot of time working in India in Bollywood would on um, film schools there so we haven't as yet got him playing the sitar but you never know it's a delightfully eclectic band if you ask me (laughs) yes Uh, drawn from all kinds of disciplines well nick mason it's such a pleasure to talk to you after all these years uh saucer full of secrets tour coming to the uh, chicago theater on april 4th now considering post-Sid Barrett material, some of the stuff that happened later, what do you think of as your defining moment in Pink Floyd with a song? Um, I would say set the controls. uh, I still think it's uh, one of the most powerful songs uh, that we've ever performed. It's it's sort of outside the box in terms of rock and roll. It's played in a different way. It's play, for the drum parts. It's mallets rather than sticks, and uh, it's it's just got an atmosphere to it. That I, after fifty odd years, I absolutely still love playing it. And uh, Dark Side of the Moon. What is your go-to selection on there? Well, the great thing with Dark Side is it's a sort of mysterious um, sort of. It, it, it works as a whole rather than individual songs. But I suppose the, the, probably for me the introduction to time because I've never managed to play it the same way twice. <laughs> I, had, I hadn't thought of that. One day I'll learn it. Well, <laughs> uh, I'm sure you can do whatever you want, Nick Mason, and uh, XRT listeners even remember uh, your solo output and, and the XRT hit Lie for a Lie. And... Uh, uh, you're also the guy that I think it can explain grooving with a picked sometime. Uh, <laughs> Nick Mason, you take yeah, care we of yourself. Yeah, have long enough. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the title would be the entire interview. Uh, you take care of yourself. Yeah. Nick Mason, look forward to seeing you. Chicago Theater, April 4th, Saucer Full of Secrets Tour. Thank you, Nick Mason. Thanks, Lynn. That's Nick Mason of Pink Floyd fame coming to Chicago to play material essentially from the first two Pink Floyd albums and some other surprises. Uh, Tickets are on sale through Ticketmaster. That show at the Chicago Theater is April 4th, and we are 93XRT. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.